Hello and welcome to Death of a Thousand Cuts, making you an awesome writer one cut at a time. My name is Tim Clare and this is a show about writing for writers, for readers and for anyone with a morbid fascination with how the story sausage is made. On today's show I chat to poet Holly McNish and we talk about poems, obviously, and writing and dealing with critics and writing for an audience and who you're writing for and we talk about our own experiences of the poetry scene but also you know what on this episode we kind of just talk about all sorts of different things uh, I first met Holly when I moved to Cambridge about gosh must be 12 years ago now maybe a bit longer, maybe 13 years. And I was on the poetry, you know, I was on the poetry scene there. I was doing doing gigs there. Uh, we, we just sort of started up a night. And I think meeting Holly while she was performing and becoming friends with her was one of the nicest things that happened to me in that very up in the air disrupted time in my life I'd moved into a city where I knew no one um, except my friend who just moved there with me we, d we didn't know anyone there and it was a really in retrospect weird thing to do for us to just both uh, say hey do you want to should we, should we get a flat together but we'll move in to a city where we don't know anyone uh, <laughs> but we did and um, it turned out alright for both of us uh, we both met the people that would go on to become our wives and yeah it actually turned out alright for both of us and um, and also at that time I you know made several friends one of one of whom was was Holly on the scene it's kind of funny how things turn out isn't it you, you know you do something that in retrospect looks it feels like it was a on paper a really bad idea and um and it turns out all right and yeah and so this episode really is like you'll hear but I like I spent a lot of the time just laughing and having a really good time it was just so nice to speak to Holly and I think you know a small confession but the last few episodes where I've spoken to people like uh, like Musa Akwanga and Laura Dockrell and you know I, I think I've been kind of going back through my poetry friends uh, because I miss them and fortunately alongside that there, there are a bunch of really talented interesting people now Holly's got a new book of poetry but as she says it's not just poetry it's got um, non-fiction where she talks about stuff it's got some fiction in it as well called Slug I've put a link to it in the show notes where you can pre-order it it's out at the time of uh, uh, recording it's not out yet but it'll be out um, in mid-May but I'll put some pre-order links in the show notes where you can um, set yourself up and get and, and Holly also put out a book of sort of poetry and uh, autobiography called Nobody Told Me uh, 
she, you know, centered around kind of like the theme of, of motherhood as well, uh, which is really good. And also, Holly is just such a great performer. She's so good on stage. This is going to sound like such a weird comparison, but she has that kind of storytelling ability that I associate with someone like Billy Connolly, who kind of came out of the folk scene, you know, you know, started out telling jokes but really telling stories while his while, while tuning up <laughs> while people are like tuning up 12 string guitars for the next song and I think Holly's got that same thing of just being a just a fantastic storyteller on stage uh, and feeling really authentic being really funny being really interesting and I I just I really really like seeing her live and uh, I'm in the unfortunate position of now. Well, I'm very fortunate in that I get got to see her um, in these tiny gigs when we were starting out. But it's un only unfortunate now that I'm not the only person who likes seeing her live. She's got a tour coming up as well, um, so you can check check that out. Um, and if you want, if you live in the UK and you'd like to see her live when that becomes possible again. Anyway, I'm going to shush now. Um, I've, I've kind of rambled enough. I just, just really wanted to say that I enjoyed recording this episode and um, I think you're going to really enjoy listening to it as well. And there's some real practical stuff here about, uh, you know, who you write for and dealing with, you know criticism and I guess the difference between writing for for the who your readership are versus who the kind of art scenes critics are um, if you enjoy the show um, aside from supporting the people I have on it by getting their books you can um, help me keep the lights on by going to my coffee page ko-fi.com forward slash Tim Clare when people support me on that it allows me to keep the lights on. It allows me to keep making episodes for you. Um, I really appreciate everyone who does that. That's it. I'm not going to spend any more time delaying you getting to the episode. I really hope you enjoy this. This is me speaking to Holly McNish. Thanks. Thanks so much for agreeing to talk to me, though, Holly. I really appreciate it. I'm very, I'm sort of I'm always really super nervous at the beginning of um, talking to people. I don't know why. I always feel. <laughs> I can't, I've done it so many times and yet every time at the beginning I feel I get really sort of like oh gosh and then I'm and then I'm fine <laughs> it's horrible though I get like that as well like I get really nervous I thought like I wouldn't be nervous um for stuff online so much but I still get nervous before doing any like online gigs as well it's so weird isn't it I, I, um I, yeah I, and, I, and the, I, I think it's probably good though because the one time I didn't get nervous I remember the last so we were 2019 latitude and yeah. I did and I went on stage and I hadn't been nervous at all I was just going to do this podcast on stage in the book tent and I walked and then I walked on stage and I was like wait a minute what am I I hadn't prepared anything and I was like because and then I was like what and then like you know like I walked on and I was there and then I was like looking out and I was like and I suddenly like had this out of body experience where I was like, "What the bloody hell are you doing? What's wrong with you? Like, what? You can't just like ad lib, but like with no content for ninety minutes. 
I, I was like, what the... F-? And I was like, you what's wrong with you? This, like, anxiety has been protecting you for all this time. And I just... What? And I was like, looking, I was like, you total joker. Like, you can't just, like, charm your way through. Hey, guys, how are you? And I was like... I, 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 and I walked out and I stared at the audience and I, I, I felt like I was leaving my body. I was like... Oh, a, so horrible. I was, I was like, oh, it is quite good to have a little think beforehand and to have that little spike and go, okay, I'll just have a think through what I'm going to do. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, it's weird how getting, if you get a bit too blase about it or if you've done it too many times. I don't like the feeling that I'm on like autopilot ever. Like yeah. I remember doing the same like, I don't know, half hour set a few too many times and I was like, I can't do this anymore because I'm really nervous, but I know exactly what I'm going to say, but I can't even remember if I've like told this story before the poem or not. <laughs> I just sort of saying it. I don't even believe it anymore. I don't believe that's why I wrote the poem. I think I'm just making it up now. <laughs> it's really weird. You feel, you feel like there's going to be a moment where you're talking to the audience and then yeah. everyone starts staring at you. And you don't know what you just, you've got no idea what you just said because it's so automatic. And you're like, did I just say the same thing twice? Is that why they're looking at me? Because I don't know what I said because I was thinking about the load of washing that I've got time to put on when I get home. Like... I did that last night on a recording. I was doing a recording reading the poem and one of the lines when it was about making the pat lunches. And then I was like, I haven't made the pat lunch for tomorrow. Oh. <laughs> And then I couldn't really remember what I was talking in the rest of the poem. <laughs> yeah, I think it's good to get nervous. I had like one, I, think, I remember one, this is not the same, but one school exam where I came out and thought, that was easy, I did well, and I did really the shittest on it than I'd done in any exam. And I thought, oh, all right, so maybe you can't tell. <laughs> yeah, that was easy, that's that's easy because I, I, I don't don't know what I'm talking about. So. <laughs> Yeah, that's why people that don't know what they're talking about have the most confidence, though, isn't it? Um, that you're just you're basically <laughs> described the internet there, right? Like, <laughs> so true. <laughs> well, it's very nice to do this, and I yeah, I got nervous too, so don't worry. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, I, I I think like, are we are we good to start or? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. fine. Awesome. Well, the first thing I wanted to ask you was. When was the first time that you remember realising that, like, words and stories were important, that they were something that you, in particular, wanted to play with? Hmm. That's a nice question. It's funny how much I'm trying to flick back through memories of my childhood now. So I was going to say probably just like my mum reading me stories. Like I remember that vividly. And I guess I remember vividly her falling asleep halfway through stories and me being really annoyed because it mm. was really important at the end of the story before I went to bed. <laughs> but she was obviously so knackered um, that she couldn't keep awake. But that's not really me writing. So I think the first time writing was probably when I was like really angry and felt really crappy when I was about 10, I reckon the first time I remember like writing a poem in my room because I was really angry and feeling much better after I wrote it. So I think that's probably when. Do you remember what, it, do you, remember what you were at, angry about? Yeah, my dad and my mum won't let me get a cat. 
<laughs> that's really your voice started to break as you were saying that and i was like oh my god this is like we're gonna be really uh, this is quite an early kind of like jump into sort of deep but that was <laughs> no Aww. my childhood was all right you know and also thinking back like and it was horrible it was a horrible poem that my mum found out years later and sent it to me when i was at university and said oh look what we've just found <laughs> um but i think i rhymed cat with fat and twat that was the extent of the thing but i felt like much better and i didn't i obviously didn't like make a fuss to my parents so i think that's like the start of me being quite a calm person but quite angry inside my head <laughs> <laughs> and on paper but yeah so it was yeah i remember like so it was a protest poem yeah but only to myself really which is what a lot of them are i think sort of and i remember also feeling better like a I don't remember writing many of them, but I still got them all to sort of laugh at sometimes. But um, yeah, there was one that I wrote when I always looked a bit younger when I was younger and I could never get into like nightclub until you had like fake ID or I was actually 18. And I remember one time I tried to get into this nightclub, but you had to get like a bus from my village and stuff. So if you didn't get in, you just had to wait for everyone to be in the nightclub and then wait for the bus back. So I was just sat under the like metal stairs outside the nightclub with my other friend that I didn't get in. And then when I got home after like just sitting outside for a few hours, <laughs> um, um, I wrote this poem, which is such a lie. But at the time I remember I really believed it and it was all about how I'm glad I didn't get in because I won't wake up with a hangover or like sore feet because of the high heels I was wearing and all my friends will have like cuts on their feet. And I was like, yeah, yeah, this is true. Definitely. This makes me feel a lot better. And then I read it, you know, obviously when I was older and thought, God, you felt like <laughs> 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 like quite a lot of my poems are sort of to convince me, I think, of feelings that I don't actually have. <laughs> So yeah, I guess I guess it's things like that. I remember like the writing actually helping, and also giving a poem to my mum on Mother's Day, and her being really pleased, and and reading a poem at my granddad's funeral. That's from that's the first time I remember like sharing it and thinking, oh, maybe it's a nice thing sometimes to share poems. Um, yeah. So that was the first time I like read a poem to anybody else that I'd written about my granddad. Um, and it was. Yeah, it was. My mum said it was very helpful. I thought, oh, okay, so maybe I should read them out sometimes. But yeah. Do you, do you um when you, were you do you remember any poems or lyrics or anything around that time? Because for some kids, some children, it's like obvious to write. It was to me, but then I was always surrounded by reading um books and things like that and my teachers were really enthusiastic about it. and to some other kids like the idea that you'd be pissed off about not getting a cat and go i don't know i'm gonna write a poem i guess i'll write a poem that's the obvious thing to do were there were i mean were there what do you, do you know what kind of led you to to do those things were there any poems or books or music that you think had kind of hit you right and you were like oh that's the that's the thing that's awesome yeah I think so I sound similar to you I think like I had very lovely teachers telling me oh that's nice Holly what you've written and um I just sort of immediately I never really wrote stories I just wrote poems all the time um I remember as a kid uh please Mrs Butler which I read basically over and over and over again and a poem from it called uh scissors have you read do you know it I, I can't remember this the poem scissors oh. 
It's like, so, please, Mrs. Butler is like, please, Mrs. Butler, this boy, Derek Drew. Yeah, I know that. Yeah, that one's amazing. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, it's so good, isn't it? The one with scissors starts, nobody leave the room, everyone listen to me. We had 10 pairs of scissors and now there's only three. And it's just about the teacher not letting the kids out of the class until they find all the scissors because they must be somewhere and you can't lose them each day. And I loved, I guess, because they were written about like experiences I was having as a kid. Um, So... Yeah, I remember that vividly and, and I definitely wanted to write, like I, I basically just wrote in the same like meter or rhythm as that and um, and tried to write <laughs> funny, funny-ish poems for my mum. I'm sure she was bored of hearing them, but tried to write funny poems about like game shows and stuff. I remember when I was a kid. Um, and then as a teenager, I think it was more music lyrics. I don't think I read m- many poems between maybe the ages of like 13 to 20 I'd say like but I used to be really obsessed with like printing out like printing the music lyrics out and I used to try to write um poems to the same uh rhythm as Courtney Love's songs in Hole the band Hole I was really obsessed with so I used to try to like rewrite (laughs) songs And, and I had one tape The Eve of Destruction by Barry Maguire which I thought was the most amazing song ever. And I used to just sit into my bedroom, sit in my bedroom and play that on loop. Um, but yeah, but also things like Shakira, like I loved the, the I was going to say the poem, the line, sorry, sorry that my breasts are small and humble so you don't confuse them with mountains. I thought that is the shittiest line of poetry I've heard, but this is so helpful for someone with typhoons. So I like, so yeah, it was like, it was definitely different song and the out here brothers boom 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 like their dirty version (laughs) blew my mind I think as a teenager girl so I listened to that on loop as well and then tried to write my own like uh terrible sort of poorly I remember I remember that the the (laughs) the scandal of that um the the dirty version because it was on you you so you you buy the single and it'd have the radio edit but then one of the B-sides was the dirty version. I remember oh my God. I remember yeah. hearing it. I remember them talking about it on, on Ozone, on the Ozone, <laughs> and, and like saying, you know, it's not your responsibility to tell us what to write, and it's not our responsibility to tell you what to listen to. But also, I remember an angry dad phoning up GWR local radio in Bristol and going, my daughter, put that record on, and the language coming out, I can only describe it as what you'd hear it in a brothel (laughs) (laughs) I I thought so that poem I'm I swear to that poem I keep saying poem well whatever that song I think stopped me from having (laughs) quite a lot of unsafe sex so I sort of it made me think that these dirty things sometimes that people think are disgusting really helpful because I remember like at sex education at school it was just all about like condom try and wear a condom you know put condom on here's how to put a condom on a a cucumber yeah we had carrots and it was like okay so this isn't really gonna be very helpful I don't think but then I remember listening to that one and there was the lines if I cannot sleep with you maybe I could have a taste and I was like oh my god it blew my mind that there was alternatives to having the sort of sex that could get you pregnant and I thought that is honestly as a as a <laughs> as like whatever age I was I thought that is so polite like I genuinely thought that was such a polite song like okay if I can't sleep with you that's fine so I'll just do oral sex instead <laughs> it was the first it was the first oral sex like on a girl thing I'd ever heard and I was just like oh there's alternatives I thought it was really really like a really 
polite song. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I suppose that's the the tricky thing about um, sort of this puritanical, you know, because I grew up in school when I can't remember what the name of the law was that they weren't allowed to even teach about homosexuality because it was considered yeah. to be like you'd be promoting it somehow. But there was all these things yeah. where we were told one thing and the reality around us was completely was clearly different and it undermined yeah. everything the teachers were saying really because you were like well i can see that if someone smokes weed they don't immediately like die like i know yeah. i we know we know people who smoke weed so and they, they're not dead um yeah. <laughs> like so so that isn't true right so so why should i believe any you you've cho- you've proven yourself to be an unreliable narrator of these things <laughs> remember the same with cocaine the first time like I saw someone do a line of of coke um and I was just drinking and I remember (laughs) because of my like education in it don't get me wrong I'm not saying it's a a great thing to do a lot of but like I was sat opposite (laughs) this this person that I was friends with and, and he was doing like a few lines of coke and I was I was drinking wine I think I can't remember um and after about an hour, I was really hammered and he was still like making very polite conversation. I remember being totally baffled, like, what? How's he not dead? Like, how's he not, <laughs> yeah. how's he not either dead? Like, I'm definitely like the least coherent one now after like three glasses of wine. <laughs> oh my God, my drug education was not right. Yeah, so I had exactly that. Like, this man is still alive and he's still talking about like some sort of like philosophy project he's got going on yeah yeah talking about some philosophy project that he's going got going on that he probably assembled in that hour after like the second rail of coke he's like (laughs) that is like the the kitchen at parties right where people start talking about their theory of star wars or whatever Um, and i've been that person don't i'm not i'm not judging i'm just saying Uh, so can you talk about um like when you started to um because doing you know writing poems for your family is is one thing and i have to say like it's still like a an audience whose opinions you really care about right like you read a poem at a funeral you don't want to bomb that's like terrible but like (laughs) but 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 when you start you know going in front of an audience that's a that's another big step and i wonder if you could talk about what how that came about and how it felt um I don't know exactly it just started to feel uh, it might sound a bit I don't know it started to feel a bit pointless for like some of the poems I was writing so some of them I really just loved writing them and there's I still write a lot more poems than I'd share with people like I share a lot of them even like if I've just sort of scribbled stuff down um but there's still more poems that I just have on my computer that I've written, I don't know, because of whatever I feel in or about something that I wouldn't share. But I think some of the ones that I was writing because I was kind of annoyed at stuff that was happening to me that I knew was happening to other people, it started to feel a bit pointless just writing these poems and then just like putting them in a book under my bed or... And I don't mean, I don't mean like selfish in a like oh the poet is gonna tell people like Mm. (laughs) that sort of talk to do with art but I just started to think um like I started to think and also my daughter's dad who I'm not with now but I remember at the time 
he was like, do you not think you should read that to someone else? Because I say I was writing for my family. Really, I only wrote for my mum. Like, I gave my mum poems all the time, and she listened to them. And then um, my daughter's dad was listening to some of them, and he said, do you not think it would be helpful to read this maybe to another female that's going through the same sort of stuff? So, and then I sort of started thinking maybe it would. Um, But I had, then it was sort of like a challenge because I was so scared to do it. I'm not I'm not really I'm not a really shy person like I was always all right like fairly confident at at school and like with friends and stuff obviously there's situations that I'm very shy in but not really um generally but I wasn't I wasn't ever in like the theatre productions or on on stage for stuff like that and um so I didn't find it easy but then it sort of started to be a, a a sort of a challenge like me sort of thinking why are you so scared to read your poem like don't be such a I was going to say pussy then, but that would probably not be <laughs> not be politically correct for someone that writes about sex in more time. Um, but yeah, so and then I started to write loads of really bad poems. This is when I was like twenty, I'd say nineteen twenty, about how I was such a chicken that I couldn't even read a poem, and they're like definitely the worst, the worst poems I've written. Just constant poems about how why are you writing this poem if you won't even read it? Out? Like I've got loads of those poems. Um, so yeah, it was sort of half because I thought, oh, maybe I, maybe that would be a nice thing, and half because I thought, like, why are you so worried to do this? So I don't know. Maybe I did just want to share, just like if you send off a poem, you know, to a magazine or you want to get it published. So I don't know exactly why I wanted to share it. It was sort of a mixture of them, um, but the, then the actual going somewhere and sharing it took about another two years, I reckon, like ridiculously I was so scared of like the, the poetry cafe in London was the first place I ever read, read one and it was with Niall O'Sullivan who was hosting it who's like the nicest person in the world um but I just think I just think how scary arts venues shouldn't be like underestimated if people haven't grown up around that sort of stuff um yeah so I'm even all... like go yeah go on I was just gonna say that like a lot of the you know like if you learn to ski you start off on like a little practice slope or whatever and you have an instructor and it's like the easiest hill but like often like if you're doing poetry like your first gig might and same with stand-up is like your first gig is like someone has set up a practice amp like in the corner of a pub where most (laughs) most of the punters in the pub didn't know that there was going to be a gig on (laughs) and then you're speaking into a shit mic that no one can hear there's no running order no one's there to see not only is no one there to see you but other people are just there to read out their own shit like it's like the it's like the worst gig you could imagine and that is where you're supposed to start with a piece that you never performed before on a bit of paper i remember just being out i just remember oh my gosh i I, i've like got whole blanks of like my first couple of gigs 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 where like i got no idea i think like the third time i was on stage somebody climbed on stage and held a stanley knife to my throat like oh my god jesus what yeah like they they they, the pub had been closed for refurbishment and the builders had just finished it and opened it two hours before the gig which the owners didn't realize was on um all the builders just got shit-faced and then yeah it was un it was unreal but like 
you know, if you get through that, you're fine. <laughs> like, but I don't oh, think that should be know. the barrier to entry for people doing poetry writers. <laughs> <laughs> I was just about to like say, oh yeah, mine was really bad the first one, but it's like there's no point in even saying it now. That sounds terrible. <laughs> the only thing that happened at mine was I went and it was it wasn't that because it was the poetry cafe, so it was only for people reading poetry. It's like the most polite audience ever, um, and I'd seen it in an episode of Trigger Happy like there's a joke episode of Trigger Happy where he goes to this poetry night and says this poem is called Three Million or something was, was that was that at the poetry cafe <laughs> I think so yeah wow <laughs> um I'm pretty sure it was now I'm questioning myself um but that I just love that so much but yeah when I went up so they called you like a poetry virgin if you'd never read a poem before do you remember that did you have I've that ne- I've never I've never been to the poetry cafe obviously uh, I know and love and admire Niall so much but I never went to the poetry cafe ever uh, so so it was really it was quite close to where I was I was doing like a part-time university course in London and going back and forth between where I lived and um so I was there like two days a week uh yeah, studying like economics and development, so not very um, arty. But um, but so I would go there secretly. I guess also if you're in a group, like I went to university for like four years, but I never joined any writing group. Like I didn't tell it. It wasn't like a thing that I shared with people apart from my mum, basically. So I didn't like you're saying the first time you go. I think a lot of people's first times they read a poem, it's like in a in a nice like poetry group, which is probably quite a nice way to start. But I didn't join. I'm sure there must have been clubs at university. There was like writing clubs or whatever. But I, I went and then I, I the, like, I remember Nilo Sullivan saying, okay, so Holly's up next and she is a poetry virgin. And I got on stage and this woman from the back stood up and shouted, she doesn't look like a virgin. That, <laughs> that support, like... that's great. Thank you for that. <laughs> Was appropriate that I'm sure you saw that playing out brilliantly in your <laughs> what people are so, people who heckle are so fucking I've got no idea what's going on in their head oh do you know I prefer hecklers than clickers and I know that's not a very good thing to say <laughs> just for people who don't can you explain who, what clickers are for people who aren't on the inside baseball world of um poetry <laughs> Yeah, so I'm probably going to explain it in quite a biased way, like the way I've explained the different uh, part, the different political parties to my daughter. Um, but yeah, so clicking is something that I think it must have started in the US, but I might have made that up. But I imagine that I did with like poetry slams or spoken words where you don't want to clap during a poem or like shout, yeah, I agree with that. But when you think a line of poetry is like really good or really moves you, then you can let everybody know by clicking your fingers lightly. So when somebody's on stage and um, they say like a, a line that you think's amazing, sometimes you just get loads of people clicking their fingers. So you get this sort of light clicking throughout people reading the poems, which is probably quite a nice thing, but I'm maybe too much of a horrible bitch um but i i find that quite a lot of people that do that i feel like they just <laughs> i'm really i'm really hoping that you don't now tim and if you do i really don't mind but um i feel that quite a lot of people that i've seen do it do it sort of to let everybody know that they're like really understanding a poem which i find quite annoying and also when i'm reading it's kind of distracts me because people often click at the lines that I think are pretty shit. 
so I'll like read a line and people will click or like nod their head like really like oh yeah 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 amazing amazing but then I'll get to a line that I like worked really hard on a metaphor or something and no no one clicks and then I'm really disappointed (laughs) so I just find I find it really irritating you're remind it's reminding me of you know Harry Baker's poem that he did in in America where uh, the opening line is I am a man and and somebody in the audience clicked and went tell it poet <laughs> so i've got i've got a poem that and i've had the most clicks for this um not that count up at readings i don't i don't do many readings where people click or maybe they just don't think my lines are good enough to click but sometimes i, I don't like it when like poets stand and they do a line that they obviously think is good so they like do it slowly or like will then repeat it and i've seen somebody <laughs> Glastonbury Festival stop and be like that was a really good line like I'm gonna read it again yeah yeah yeah. but that was also a poet from the US so I need to see more I love loads and loads of poets from the USA obviously there's bloody a lot of different poetry but it's only seems to have been like the sort of US spoken word that I've seen (laughs) doing things like that um but yeah and stopped and told us that that was worth like that was more deserved of like the silence that it was given It was amazing. Anyway, so that that sort of side of the kind of poetry readings is why clicking annoys me. But I'm sure I feel like can you not just sit in silence and not tell everyone what you think? Like just like send me a text after if you like. I get what you're like. I I mean, so like the, the story I was told was like clicking like started in this might be complete bollocks, but I was told someone told me that it's clicking started in the kind of beatnik era where you had speakeasies where they were still under prohibition. In fact, so it'd be pre-Beatnik. Um, under prohibition, people would do gigs and it would be essentially illegal because they were serving alcohol. So people wouldn't hear that a gig was going on. Instead of applauding, people would click. Um, and so it was a way of like quietly applauding so you didn't get raided by the police. So that's like, but nobody who clicks is doing it as as a kind of shout out to the tradition of, speakeasies and prohibition are they and what I must say is Holly honestly I have clicked in my (laughs) life and and I and what's worse is I've judged the shit out of other people doing it in the same way that I in the same way I get annoyed if I the few times I've been to see like uh like when I went to see Duchess of Malfi for our school for our school we went to see a play and there was a guy in the front row with a big straw hat who laughed at every third line clearly to show the audience that he understood the original joke and they weren't that funny even at the time I'm sure but he was booming with laughter to go like I get I get Webster um so I and I judge the shit out of people for doing that but I do it myself and I do it for exactly the reasons you say that I want I want and I also want them I'm like going notice me senpai I'm like saying to the poet like I nobody loves me like I nobody loves you like I love you like they don't get you like I get you do you know that uh, that's so funny and also that's a really cool reason and I hope that's the reason why it started but also you're much less likely to get um the police come and find you if you don't click either (laughs) (laughs) I feel like it's like don't make noise don't do anything and then you're likely to be able to still have a drink but they were pissed that's the thing isn't it the The other reason I don't like it is sort of 
in a like <laughs> what you're saying but i i even even with the like beat generation stuff i so i have quite a lot of people come to gigs that say it's like the first time they've ever gone to a poetry gig and a few times it's that i put something about clicking like you said for me to explain it before um we talked about it because lots of people don't know what it is so i feel like i don't like the way that sometimes like the sort of spoken word scene or or poetry slams i guess in particular have sort of I guess it's really nice in one way that they've made poetry kind of cool, but they've also kind of made it a bit like too cool for some people. So when I've done school workshops, there's been like really good young, shy kids who've been writing amazing poems. But I remember one girl said to me that she didn't think she was like cool enough to be a poet. (laughs) <laughs> which was like the worst thing I've ever heard somebody say and it really worried me and it was when like loads of and my, myself included was putting lots of stuff on YouTube and there was a real thing about like spoken word poets and it was being picked up by kind of trendy magazines and stuff but it was becoming also about the image and I was thinking oh my god please don't say that there's going to be loads of like really good young writers that don't think they're like cool enough or loud enough or do you know what I mean to to go into writing poetry or to go into reading it out and so that the clicking thing when I've seen people do it in an audience there's also been other people that have been made to feel uncomfortable because they don't know what's going on so I feel like it's a bit exclusive to people that know about spoken word um so that's another reason I, I feel it puts another barrier up to like people that aren't in that scene already go in and trying out a poetry gig I, w- I wonder and i hope this doesn't sound like a backhanded compliment but i i just come following on from that i wonder if you could talk about the kind of like what you feel like the the joys and the advantages are of not of like not having that level of slickness in your it in, in in one's poetry but like i i'm not it sounds like i'm like going like, holly, what's like, anyone would click that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so holly like what so you write poetry that like um some people might call sort of like a bit sloppy a bit crap <laughs> but there's a charm to it there's a rough charm to it that, because people see it and they go no, i could do that um but you know what i mean I, what i mean is i, I genuinely i don't want to sort of I don't want to, but I'm just trying not to load your thing because I get exactly that. Like I see a lot of American slam and I go, if I'd seen that and that being the first thing I'd seen, I would have thought there's no space in poetry for someone like me who like has, you know, off stage has sometimes got a stammer who doesn't really always know what he thinks in a way that I can be confident about one subject and like shout yeah. at the audience and tell them off. Um, <laughs> yeah. Sometimes when we talk about silly things, or sometimes wants to talk about not knowing or sometimes wants to be shy. Um, yeah. I wouldn't know, I wouldn't see a space in like the three minute performance slam where every line is slick and everything's worked out. And I want to yeah. chat to the audience beforehand. And I wondered if you could, because you're a great, you're an amazing storyteller on stage and you're amazing at including the audience and drawing them in and making us feel, even if it's a bit, you know, even if there's art behind it, making it feel spontaneous. And I wonder if you could talk about that like level of, um, I, I guess non-slickness <laughs> is what I'm going for, but I mean, but I'm, I mean it as a compliment. I genuinely do. That's <laughs> no, fine. Honestly, it's it's a strange thing, isn't it? Because sometimes I find it like I have quite a lot of people at <laughs> gigs or online that like you know I thought poetry was like you know not available to someone like me, but now that I've heard yours, I know that anybody could write it. <laughs> so I honestly get that said to me loads, and it's like oh right I know that that is meant to be a compliment but 
not sure if I enjoy but that. But I guess the distinction is you're saying that like what it feels like sometimes is it's like an aristocracy with just a bunch of secret codes that doesn't necessarily take yeah. skill. It's like, do you know that you're supposed to click at this bit? Like yeah, that's not exactly. skillful. That's just an in joke, basically. Yeah, so a bit like like T. S. Eliot's sort of lavender stuff. I remember learning at school, like different. I know lavender's quite an obvious one now, but like I remember learning at school apparently that a lot of uh, a lot of poets, I guess the same way that we you know would put quotes in Latin to stop people that didn't speak Latin being able to read it. Or Thomas Mann used to just flip from German into like pages and pages into French so that the like you know common plebs couldn't understand the book um if they didn't speak like three languages plus latin latin is a language i shouldn't have said that but you know what i mean um i don't really know so the 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 thing about chatting on stage because i i don't like just reading my poems one after the other i like telling people and i guess even in the books now I will probably do another collection of poems where it's just poems, but I always just want to tell a bit of the story around a poem, um, especially at a gig, but also in a book, because I, I find certain poetry made me feel really stupid. And sometimes in like a good way, like I find it interesting to sort of decode it and read it again and again and get loads of stuff out of it. So I'm not saying I want all poetry to be like available on the first reading at all. I like a lot of different types of poetry. But on stage, I remember thinking, oh, I can't repeat this poem if no one understands what it is. So I really want the audience to be like there at the beginning of the poem. So they're not sitting which I've done at a lot of poetry readings the whole way through the poem thinking I've no idea what this is about it's lost me I can't really concentrate on the beautiful images in it because I just I'd like to sort of feel comfortable before I hear it if that makes sense um and obviously some people don't (laughs) don't mind that at all but I remember sitting through a lot of poetry readings just thinking like like I've no idea what's going on and I'm not not that you have to enjoy poetry but I don't I'm not getting anything from it because I'm so confused. You don't, you don't want to feel like you don't want to feel like you're missing. Like I, yeah. I had, I heard a, I remember, oh god, it's ages ago, but like, um, poet called Richard Evans was reading in a like we when back at university when we used to do creative writing society and we'd go there and people read out their stuff and we'd give feedback and stuff. But he read out a couple where he just went before he started. He said, um just like don't try to and this is going to sound like it was pretentious but it wasn't at all he just went you don't need to try and like understand every line of of this um just you know i just was playing about with words and you can just listen and just sort of let it wash wash over you he said and i relaxed and just enjoyed the sounds and i felt like i had so i think even if a poem doesn't necessarily you can't like read an easy meaning if somebody on stage has gone like don't worry about that you're not you know yeah. and has given me just a heads up even that can be okay because then I can go okay I'll try and understand it on this level or something yeah that's so nice just I so I saw Alice Oswald whose poems I love um and she said at the beginning that she had written a lot of these poems whilst like lying in a meadow for hours just like observing nature and writing in like real time to the sunrise and the sunset and stuff she just did that and then the whole way through the set 
she just read the poems and then did like a long pause between them but just because I'd been put somewhere before she started reading I think I enjoyed it a lot more than I would have yeah yeah it's funny the accessible thing (laughs) I feel like it's just people go to poetry through different different paths don't they and I definitely started writing poetry for like my own personal pleasure and personal you know to to help myself in which case I wasn't really I wasn't thinking about trying to write the the, the smartest poem or the cleverest poem or, or find the most delightful metaphor or, or you know do it in certain forms or mimic forms or like you know put forms on their head and read it any of that so I didn't go into writing for that reason I went into writing in my own voice the way that I think and put it down on a page um, and I'm not saying I'd never experiment with stuff. I still think it's really good to learn and I read poetry all the time and I want to learn, but I don't, sometimes if I, I find myself trying to be cleverer just for the sake of not getting like a review saying Holly's a stupid asshole. <laughs> so after like a few bad reviews came out, I, I was like, I was really annoyed, not because of, not because of bad reviews, because I think it's good. And I learn a lot from like even comments on YouTube about the actual poems. There's obviously comments that are just like horrible that I ignore. But, um, but then at one point I remember, um, somebody talking about cliches in poetry. And, um, when I was working with an editor, he was saying, oh, you you use too many cliches. And I was like, okay, yeah, that's, that's fair enough. And then gave me a few other poets to read who, you know, make up their own metaphors and similes and don't use images other people have used. But then I started to think, I don't know if I want to get into, like, I think it's amazing. Like here, Lindsay Bird is like amazing with it and dedicates so much of our time writing to just thinking of these amazingly different and individual um, ways to describe things. But I started thinking, not from a lazy way, but I speak in cliches. That's my like language that I use because that is the normal way to like speak and think for me. So I don't think in very individual ways. Um, so it's just stuff like that. I was thinking, well, actually, I in this situation, I wouldn't, you know, describe this or compare this to something else. I would probably say like dead as the doornail because that's what I've been brought up saying and I sort of want that spoken language in the poem so it's trying to get a balance I think sometimes I think I go too far and I'm not really sure who I'm complicating the poem for if it's because I think it makes it better or if it's just to try and impress critics who have like told me I'm shit so I'm trying to get a balance of learning but not like not like just trying to impress people can I because that's a really really interesting thing and it's something that i've sometimes wrestled with is the is the is that gap between who you feel you're writing for your core audience and then that moment where you start imagining book reviews and writing <laughs> yeah. uh, to sort of preemptively avoid them telling you off and like which is just yeah. like such a shit way to that's going to be crap because i'll never they'll never be sat, those people were never going to like the thing but d- d- when you started to I always feel like it's a sign of success that you're starting to get criticism because it means people can be bothered to give a shit to criticise you in the <laughs> first true. place. You know what I mean? Like, you never, yeah. doing something early on, you only ever get positives because the only people motivated to write about you are going to be trying to lift you up because they go, oh, look at this person trying. And they kind of, like, then there's yeah. not much to gain. And sort of, they only start punching totally. when they feel like you've got an audience. When you, because the, I guess your, like, first thing that I, you had some great, 
sort of success with videos online that went um viral i hate that word but um but but, but i guess like nobody nobody told me was like this your big sort of finding like quite a big audience with your a mix of your poetry and memoir is that is that right if i'm am i remembering that right that that was like the first thing where it really kind of opened out yeah so i had i had two like poetry collections before it um but nobody told me i think was the first time that i guess lots of people that weren't that maybe wouldn't buy a poetry book bought the book if that makes sense well if that makes sense i think it makes sense yeah, yeah so the yeah. two the two books before that were just straight poetry um and then nobody told me it was yeah like diary entries and poetry and i think it brought a lot more people in because they maybe bought it for the <laughs> i hate saying this now because this is a bit like i've said that people like listen to my poems because of the themes, not the poetry. And I actually said that quote, but it's used in like every bad review of my work is that even Holly admits that people buy it for the themes and not because the poetry is any good. And it's like, oh, I should never have said that. Like, don't, <laughs> don't give so people attention <laughs> by putting yourself down. It's like, oh God. <laughs> but, um, but I just meant that the poems weren't like, meticulously edited not that I'd written them all in like five seconds and don't care about you know language at all and so I definitely I've stopped saying things like that about my own work because I think oh this is too stupid to it's just picked up by too many people but yeah nobody told me it was the first time with that but I like what you're saying about the criticism I find especially going through the like spoken word path before being published like it's so well I found it so supportive but it meant that you just never got any feedback like bad feedback on your poems you'd either get someone at a gig you know saying you don't look like a virgin or just people being like I really like the poem but nobody's like which I think a lot of spoken word would do with nobody's like I really like the poem but maybe you should cut it down to a minute rather than seven minutes but don't you fit but did, did, don't you like feel the because people can say all sorts of things but you kind of get a sense of the energy in the room right like you see when people are losing the will to live yeah yeah and when you self are like I always cut poems before reading and actually think it's cool part of the editing process like I love working with an editor now and the first time I ever did I felt like I was getting like a free a free sort of I don't know university professor or something like it was amazing somebody being like oh you 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 realize you use quite a lot of like repetition in your poems and you could maybe do things slightly differently or look at your endings or you always try to explain what you're talking about in the end of your poem and you don't need any of it so stuff like that it was so cool to actually learn stuff about like crafting poems differently um but yeah I also think that it's really as well as having like an editor on the page I always always read the poems or I'll put them online or I'll do a reading first because I find that I edit them much better after I've read it because you know I'm sure well I say I'm sure you get it but I like when I read poems that's to an audience I realize the bits that bore me or bits that I'm sort of embarrassed to read out almost yeah. because I think oh actually this is really rubbish or like <laughs> or oh you've said this already and this is embarrassing that you're now standing on stage like repeating this idea for the third time so I find it really good <laughs> to, to test them out I guess um with audiences sometimes and I still do it like all my books like nobody told me it's got so many edits in it now and I always think oh it's a shame that I can't rewrite it but actually that's not really the point of doing a book you just try and make the next one better you know yeah otherwise you're endlessly like returning to stuff kind of doing these tiny little kind of like fiddles and and sometimes you're and and, and not all of those 
are for the better because sometimes it's just because you know i you generally don't write a book to be read more than a hundred times by the person who bought it but you are that <laughs> audience and so you're kind of just changing it to keep yourself sane as well i think after a certain point yeah, so true like i said that to someone i was like oh i'm gonna cut this down by about half and they said oh, i don't think you need to i was like i do think i need to but then i realized you know yeah exactly that i've read this like 200 times i'm so bored of this <laughs> and i think it's far too long it should be about five lines not a page but um but yeah you've got to get the balance don't you of knowing if you're boring yourself which you're more likely to do because you're like stuck with yourself all the time and if it's actually uh yeah boring to an audience so your, your is your your new one is slug is that right yeah, it's called Slug, and then there's a subtitle um, and other things I've been told to hate. So it's yeah, it's, it's similar to Nobody Told Me, but it's not like chronological order or anything. There's like um, seven different sections on different topics, um, and there's prose and like I hate the word memoir. I don't know why. I feel like it. I just feel really stupid saying it. Sounds, it sounds pretentious or something that you should only write when you're kind of retired, basically. <laughs> Or I've done like really a lot in life. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's got like stories in it and then actual fictional stories in between each like section. So it's poems and stories and then like memories of stuff in childhood or, or stuff, quite a lot of stuff to do with the industry, like photo shoots or like videos I've been asked to do or yeah, just thoughts on stuff, I guess. And can, how is that, how was that like mixing all those different, um styles uh together i mean i suppose like i've spoken to lots of poets i've chatted to like uh inua elms and musa kwanga and stuff when i've chatted to them they've used like a mix of like poetry and autobiography or poetry and fiction stuff so i, I, I see it sort of more and more but i've never done it myself except on stage where we do it all the time and i wonder how you yeah. and also like how you sold that to your editor you know on the basis that like they that isn't really out there you know like there's not much of it out there in the kind of mainstream and so were they were they like Holly like what what are you doing or were they like yeah that'd be great or mm, so I also I've realized autobiography is the other alternative word rather than memoir so thanks a lot <laughs> I didn't even think I was like yes that's it autobiography that sounds much better um uh so for this one they didn't they liked the idea basically but I think that's just because nobody told me did well so there was like proof for them it wasn't really me asking to do something totally new and it's exactly what you say because on stage if you're a, a poet that's done loads of stuff on stage or if you've watched loads of stuff obviously which I have as well you know how important the talking bit is for loads of well loads of poets I think um and I like it. I love it when like a band or a poet or anyone on stage tells me a little bit about themselves or about the poem or just chats a little bit. I really like it. Don't not saying that, it, you know, I don't wouldn't go and listen to a poet just reading their poems because I also like that as well. But in terms of really engaging, I like that. Um, I like that chat. So I didn't really want to do a book that didn't have it, if that makes sense. And I also got a bit. I, I sort of was thinking about poets that I'd read at school and Seamus Heaney is one that I always think about who I hated so much at school his poems I thought <laughs> I just hated them I thought they were boring I was like moaning about having to study about potatoes all the time and um, 
but no one gave me any context or maybe the teacher did and I didn't listen but I remember like watching interviews with him and him talking about the poems and then me reading them again and thinking how brilliant they are and maybe that was to do with you know getting older or or not being a little like shitbag at school or not thinking that poetry could be anything other than something that you're studying but I really liked it I liked hearing all his stories and I thought I wish I had a I wish I'd had a book with Seamus Heaney poems that also had little, I don't know, snippets of interviews with him talking about the poem or just something around it. Um, and I guess other people would disagree because they just, they don't they don't want to know what it's about. They want to, you know, have their own interpretation of it and things. Um, but I guess that's where it, that's where it comes from. I guess my personal preference. Well, yeah, I, my personal preference. I don't, I don't read a lot of poetry books from front to back. I dip in and out, but I, I always, have a poetry book and then look for stuff about the poet or watch an interview and then read the book so i just thought i could put that all in one book that's what i <laughs> that's what i want as like a audience member and as a, and i think i spent ages kind of like fretting a little bit that i'd be outed as as stupid or some kind of oik for wanting a kind of some kind of emotional or personal connection with what i was reading but i just see yeah. so many kind of kids at schools um alienated by poetry not I don't want to say because it's taught badly because I think a lot of teachers are doing their very best but they're not poets themselves and maybe they don't particularly in love with the poems that they've got to teach yeah but, but um it's that feeling of like that poetry is almost like a kind of like asteroid that's just kind of landed in your garden and how <laughs> the, and it came fully formed yeah. and yeah. it was created by exactly. aliens and, and, and so I think sometimes poets forward that there's like I see like interviews and people talking about you know poets as being like the the messenger between like the people and the world or whatever and stuff like that and I think sometimes like poets themselves love that idea that it's just like this you know this inspiration and I don't know that they've got no like background to the poem or no like life surrounding it or they've not like just read a book and then written a poem about something it always <laughs> got to be more special also to be honest I just really like writing prose as well sometimes so I don't um I don't always want to read poetry and I don't always want to write it. So some, I don't know if you get this, but I, I started getting, um, <laughs> it's probably not a good thing to sort of slag off the BBC in this, but I started getting really annoyed because I'd get asked by the BBC to do like a poem on the radio, but they never seemed to just ask a poet to come on and read a poem that they'd written, especially spoken wordy sort of poets. They always asked me to write a bloody poem about a news article. So... I got all these requests by like and by like Sky News and stuff. <laughs> and this is when I'd already had like, you know, four books of poetry published. And I was like, would you just ask a poet to come on and read a bloody poem they've already written rather than commission them to like sit and listen to your news channel and then write a poem in half an hour, which is obviously going to be a crap poem <laughs> about like it was just I, I started to get quite annoyed about it. And I started thinking. So I tried to do one, I remember thinking, oh God, if this is the only work I'm gonna get, I better write a poem about this news article. And I was writing it and I just thought, this is like, this shouldn't be a poem. This is a rubbish poem that I'm <laughs> writing now. And it's just like, I'm basically just trying to rhyme this news article and it's just shit. And I thought, so I thought that there's a lot of prose in the book because the prose is about stuff that I don't want to write a poem about this aspect of like, I don't know, sexism or something. I just want to write like a, 
like an essay on it or whatever i think there's just want to be able to say it yeah in the same way that you don't like if you're going to buy like a sandwich from a shop you wouldn't use like poetry to to (laughs) uh, to request it because it would be inefficient (laughs) and stupid like (laughs) Yeah. yeah exactly and i know and i've done that don't get me wrong some of my like poems that i used to write i think oof this is like a rhyming article and fine there is space there's space for that but just I didn't want to I didn't want to like force a poem about something that I wanted to talk about purely so that it was a poem so that I could put it in the book I just thought why don't I just put this in the book in like prose form basically do you you think um I I just this is I I just wanted to ask about you we talked sometimes about you've talked we've mentioned kind of critics and then an audience quite a few times now and I wonder, I don't know if you can answer this, so just feel free to, like, if you think this is a stupid question, feel free to tell me to fuck off. But I'm sure I, I just, I, what do you think? Because you've found a, an, a really awesome audience with your work. I think people listen to it and really enjoy it. I love seeing you, you know, I'd cross town to see you do a set because I think you're just so engaging and it's such a, a complete experience Uh, you know like there's some people who can write poems but then they turn up on stage and they (laughs) have got nothing to say in between them and it's a very awkward and I I, I love shy people as well and I want art to be made by people who are shy who aren't natural performers and I want all sorts of people to do it I don't want to shut people out of it you know and I want you know art to be made by incredibly slick performers as well who can do their three minute poem and do that excellently as well I just like the variation but what you've you've talked a couple of times about these kind of like reviews or critics kind of getting to you and i wonder what you think is 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 motivating people to come out and kind of not just your work but i've seen it across quite a few performers where people seem in the poetry scene particularly maybe or maybe that's just because the scene i work in to come out and really kind of attempt kind of like quite like mean-spirited takedowns of people's work um what's what's going on there so i think that people are angry that something like my poems which i guess they don't deem me having worked hard enough for or know enough about poetry in general to write like they don't deem them crafted well enough to be considered it's not considered poetry but it's considered like publishable by the likes of Picador so I think there's this annoyance that they think that poets like me are sort of dumbing down the art form I think that's what it is so I don't think it's um I don't think it's like I like I like reading criticism that is actual criticism you know and it's in the same way that I really like working with an editor and I hate people just saying oh yeah I like it I don't hate people saying I like it in in general I don't mean that but if I'm like working with someone and I want to get better that's never going to help um but I think there seems to be this anger, not with many people, though. I do think it's like over-exaggerated sometimes by just a few articles. But like the most recent one was about Keats. So like to celebrate, I think it's 100 years maybe since Keats. Um, anyway, I don't know, lived or died. Um, 
but there was an article in the Telegraph and it was again it was like Kay Tempest and myself and Rupi Call seems to be quite um targeted quite a lot and um and it was just saying like that that Keats would be like rolling in his grave at the state of modern poetry and what we're now calling poetry um so yeah I think they just think it's like <laughs> it's like shouldn't be not even as popular. I don't think it's about it being popular because I think anyone that really loves an art form is often quite shirty about popular art forms, <laughs> obviously like pop music. Um, but I think it's just the idea that like, like Kay Tempest and myself have both been published by Picador, which is like, a, you know, a, a poetry press that they, I guess the people writing some of these articles have a lot of respect for and don't think should be publishing. Well, me, I guess. Um, you... So I think I think it's that, but it annoys me because there's so much there's so much that they make up. Like I don't think, and I have never said this until the criticisms came out, but I don't think that my poetry's stupid, and I don't think it's that easy to write, if I'm honest. And and I spend bloody ages on poems that might be four lines, and that also you know stupid stuff like I wrote a poem about fingering. And it's a four line poem, but genuinely I spent hours and hours and hours thinking of what word to use to describe the fingering. <laughs> and you think like there is a lot in my head to get that poem and a lot of reading about like sexual equality and a lot of reading about like safe sex and language. And I used the word like nice basically in the end, like a, a nice fingering. And it was honestly, it was exactly what I wanted to say. And I spent fucking ages thinking of it. but. Every time I put something out there, it's just assumed, and maybe because I've said so before, that a lot of the poems I do write quickly, some of them I do, and I don't want to edit because I like people seeing exactly how it came out of my head because I, I quite like that in other people. I like that like, stream of consciousness stuff as well. Um, and I actually don't think a lot of stream of consciousness poetry is. I think it's people trying to pretend that that was what was coming out of their head, but they've edited it a lot. Um, so, yeah, I think there's... I, I don't know if it's a snobbery or just an annoyance um but I find a lot of the um a lot of it I, a lot of it annoys me because it sort of stops me for a while enjoying writing and I really want to enjoy writing poetry because that is the only reason I started doing it and the only reason I still do it um but I, I don't like this idea that if poetry seems simple or if it doesn't if it's not sort of filled with metaphor or um, I keep talking about metaphors and similes, but I always get told that I don't use them. So that's why, <laughs> that's why, but you know, or if it's not written in certain forms or if I don't know how to sort of convert a form into another form, that that necessarily means that this poetry is like unthoughtful and, um, unsort of worked or not, or not, do, you do, know, not good, good enough, I guess. I think, I think it's, uh, it annoys me anyway. <laughs> I, I, I also noticed that the, 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 you know, the people that you that often, including you who often get named as being popular but with a kind of like implied or explicit eye roll from the person writing the the article um that the, yeah. they're, they're much less likely to be um male uh poets i feel like someone like tim key who writes i love his poems um, they're not very poety and sometimes they're you know often they're kind of like he's done a jokey persona around them but I don't yeah. see people writing big articles no. going oh god you know Tim Key's writing this uh, you know he's bit you know he's selling loads of poetry books people are enjoying his work I think he's a great poet I really love his stuff um, yeah. but 
it's when it, I notice when it, you know when someone's writing about you know like motherhood or fingering or just their emotions yeah. and stuff it's and then it connects with a bunch of people that seems to be taken less seriously or just taken as a kind of almost like an attack not even like oh that's not for me but i'm really fucked off because this is spoiling poetry yeah all that is like yeah yeah as if it's like <laughs> yeah it does seem to be that i don't see any guys being and also loads of the like amazing poets that are you know held up in a lot of these articles they wrote funny poems as well like very simple funny poems that i guarantee they didn't spend hours editing you know like robert burns wrote loads of poems just <laughs> for loads of girls they fancied like it's not like every poet in the canon thought through everything they wrote with the sort of academic <laughs> ideas that people seem to imply all the time i think that's what i found i think these loads of the poets like lord byron <laughs> percy shelley i think they found it fun like i find writing really fun and sometimes sometimes i think sometimes well i used to get a bit like oh like upset that somebody just battles into you so much but then i think oh do you know what i fucking love poetry like i love it i love writing it and i'm you know i'd love to get better i love playing with different forms didn't study it but i you know read a lot of it i've seen a lot of it like fuck off it's what I think a lot of the time. Not in terms of criticism that could be, that's actually like solid, but in terms of, um, so these sort of throwaway phrases. Every, every time I use a new social media platform, I notice that people now, in a, in a negative way, like label me with that platform. So that I find really funny. So as soon as I put a few poems on YouTube, I was called a YouTube poet in loads of articles. And then if I was doing readings at a gig, it's like you're a spoken word poet, which I do think there's, you know, obviously a um, a lot of skill in terms of like people that read to an audience as well and concentrate on the spoken side of it, maybe more or as much as the what it looks like on a page and how it sounds to be read. Um, but then as soon as as soon as I, I think I've done like three poetry slams in my life and I've been called a slam poet for God knows how many years by these sort of articles. And then um, as soon as I started putting poems on Instagram, even if they're, you know, like a picture of a page of a book, like, like nobody told me mm. that 300 page book, I'll take a picture of a poem, put it on Instagram. And these articles, it's now like the rise of the Insta poets. It's like, Jesus Christ, like, are you, like, I can't use, I don't think I can use any platform to share the poems without someone using it as a way to say, you're like, this is a poet that just writes ditties for Instagram or whatever. The same, do the same with like Nikita Gill a lot of the time. And she's written some cracking books and she puts lots of stuff up online. Um, I think Rupi Kaur maybe started on Instagram. So they use her quite a lot because she, you know, apparently if you start on a certain platform then that should be you know how you define your actual artwork it's really weird like if painters put like a picture of a painting on instagram no one calls them like an insta painter but there's so many stuff in the poetry world that are used to just put you down or like group loads of things together like anyone like simon armitage is on fucking instagram man like <laughs> <laughs> i'd love someone to like recommend him as an insta poet you know like jackie Kay's on instagram there's <laughs> a lot of different poetry on instagram you're not um, tempted with with slug you could become a tiktok memoirist 
Do you know what? I promised. I promised my daughter I won't go on TikTok. We've. I've promised to like. I don't want to anyway. But um, every time I mention that I saw something on TikTok, she's like, "Please don't, Mum. Please just say that it was on Instagram that you saw it." Why are they? Uh, is she worried? Is she worried the grown-ups are gonna are gonna ruin TikTok? Basically, but also I think just. But I feel the same. Like one of her friends started following me on Instagram, and I was like, "Oh no, I don't want this." Like, we've got to have a separate media that I can like not totally censor myself because I'm worried my kids' friends are gonna see because I already do that with writing. Like it doesn't seem it, but I've censored a lot of what I've going to publish because I know I've got a daughter who's good to have people read it and know that I'm a mum um but yeah yeah so TikTok uh, is uh that's her when she's allowed (laughs) 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 stay away from it (laughs) do do you um, I just wanted to um I just wanted to sort of uh, wind up a bit with like and thanks so much Holly because I think you've kind of like touched on this quite a lot already but if you have any I know you get asked this a lot as well, but if you have any advice for people who kind of want to write uh, about stuff that's important to them or silly, or like how they should, how they can kind of get started and how they can get over some of those critical voices. I was going to say in their head, but it's like very clear from what you've said that like they aren't that self, that critic isn't entirely imaginary, that there are just some people who have their own insecurities that they tend to project out onto other people. But like, when you want to sit down and, and you want to write, like how do you get I, um, through that? I read. I think that's what I'd say. I don't know if that's very helpful, but um, if I'm, like I, I scribble a lot of poems down like when I think about them, but if I'm gonna have like a couple of hours actually editing poems and trying to think about them more than the sort of initial skeleton idea I guess I always spend at least 15 minutes depending on how long I've got before the school run um, reading other poems of poets that I think know more and are better poets than I am so I've only got like poetry books by my bed so I, I genuinely think if anyone wants to to be to be a better writer or, or sort of improve their poetry that they should read other poetry but um but in terms of sharing it i think i think also do listen to some of the criticisms but you've got a because there's there's good sides to it as well i don't think it's great if somebody actually wants to be i get i i guess a bit like when you see on like uh those uh like x factor and somebody's been told they're a great singer by everyone around them and then they go and make an absolute tit out of themselves on live television. So that sort of thing yeah. I think you've so got to watch out for because if you if you want to put your poems up just you know, just to share them and 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 join a community of people, I think that's so nice. That's like so much stuff like that online. Like there's a like a mum poet club which is amazing and they give feedback and, and editing advice on poems as well. Um, so it depends what you're doing it for, you know, if you're just doing the poems for you and you're perfectly happy with that and you want to share them and join a club, there's plenty of like book clubs, writing clubs, there's loads of stuff at the moment, then that's great. And if you want to improve your writing and, uh, you know, and can't, I don't know, afford to go on a, a course or, or study it, 
then I'd say read reading's the way to go. But yeah, I think there's a toss up. It's really hard because I I definitely improved a lot since people didn't just say oh, I really like that poem and I want people to tell me about poetry but there's obviously loads of people online who are just going to say you're shit this isn't a poem <laughs> shut up um you're stupid anyone that likes this is an idiot so there's been stuff like that I think you've got yeah I I, <laughs> I was gonna say I'd start off like with actual people first but thinking of your first experience <laughs> Well, I think I'm the only person who's had that situation. And I I, 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 I do, I, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm a valuable human being who deserves to be treated with kindness, but I do tend to provoke that reaction in some people. So, (laughs) um, yeah, no, but from what you're saying as well, I feel like that's so true. And I think I'm going to use, I am going to unironically use the word toxic, but I had genuinely grew up with started out with a really toxic attitude that I think I'd partly invented myself that there was real writing which was like wanting to be published and being full full time pro and then there were like dabblers and people who wrote for their own pleasure and people who wrote for therapy and they weren't proper and 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 if someone said oh I'm just doing it for myself the emphasis in my head would always fall on the just as if it was lesser and I yeah. genuinely, from the bottom of my heart, do not feel that way anymore. Um, I, I, I think that they can be two things that you do together. They can be two separate things, but one isn't better than the other. And I think that's so important. And I think that's such a good point you're making about it depends what you want to do with it. You're not letting your inner writer down by writing for yourself. That's fine. No, and it can and, be incredibly and- therapeutic. Totally. And you can do both. It doesn't have to be like you choose what sort of writer you want to be. Like there are some poems that I've just written from myself and it's not taken me very long, but I think actually I'll keep this as it is. And then there are other poems that I like. I really want to write a well-crafted poem about this. And I, you know, there's different, there's different poems in, within within your own writing as well, aren't there? Yeah. yeah. And, there's, and, there's, and there are some that you discover, you thought were one and you discover they're they are the other when you're live on stage i've definitely yeah, been delivering yeah, a poem so, and going oh so, this one is just for me apparently <laughs> like uh, you know i i like i it's such a hard one because the idea of not being like i've got a lot a lot of people that said about in critical ways about not studying poetry so i haven't studied english literature and studied poetry but sometimes i'm scared to like actually do like sometimes I think, God, I would love to go and do a poetry course, but actually I wouldn't. I'm just fooling myself. I wouldn't. I'm just saying that because of the crit- criticism. I'd much prefer to study something else. If I could learn something, I'd much prefer to learn how to like trampoline or speak Japanese or like there's loads of things I'd rather do than do a year long like learning about poetry. And I also worry that if I do learn about all these different poets and learn in a way that a lot of people learn poetry at university, that I'm just going to try to mimic poets that I think are better than me which in one way is great, but in another way, I don't, I don't want to do that. Like I, I've, I've written all my life and I love writing. So I, d- I don't actually want to just start like copying somebody else's style of writing because I've been told it's, it's better. I sort of want to develop my own style to be better, but it's knowing how to do that without thinking, oh, well, I don't need to learn anything. So I don't, I have, this is a really ridiculous <laughs> dilemma and just shows how, how much of a non-essential worker I am. But um, I had this line about um, this this sunset looking like the colour of cherry aid. And, um, <laughs> and I wrote it 
because I looked at it and I thought that looks like the color of cherry aid and I had all these like lovely childhood memories in my head about cherry aid and then I thought Holly you can't use cherry aid as a metaphor like that is not highbrow enough was basically what I was thinking and so I spent like <laughs> half an hour thinking all right what would I do and like flicking through other like poems about sons and all this stuff and I was like fuck this this is my life like my life isn't that metaphor my life is cherry aid I want, <laughs> I want to use cherry aid as the metaphor I want to use cherry aid I want to use pot noodle for another metaphor I want it do you know what I mean so it's like I, I know yeah, exactly I just, what you mean because that's the that's the worst thing that you like when teaching creative writing what you spend the first like two days doing or maybe the first two months is like getting people to let go of their idea of what they think a poet should sound like and yeah. and, and i think the more you, the and and this isn't just something you ever get over because i think you can have days when you're feeling more insecure than others when so when i was in <laughs> when i was in worthing right i was i was i was i was at a restaurant i was having a curry on the next table there were some people just there were some actors they were clearly actors because they were discussing going to auditions and one of them yeah. was saying to the other and i said i can't possibly do it for that much i can't do it that that's that's too little um but he said look i just love you to come to the audition and just to make up the numbers because uh, we you know we just just so we've got enough people for the day and i went there but you can't do a bad performance can't you you just can't and you become the character <laughs> And anyway, so he went on and they, and they they begged me. He said, look, I'll give you three fifty a day. And I, I said, that's less than my normal rate, but all right. Anyway, <laughs> after listening to them talking about this and going, yes, and you just step into the role, don't you? Genuinely using phrases like that. It turned out the person had been auditioning for the role of Captain Hook in the Christmas Panto. <laughs> but it was clear to me. And I think that's amazing. I think like Panto acting takes so much skill. I'm not criticising it. But the point was, it was clear to me that they maybe didn't feel very confident in their identities as actors. And yeah. so were becoming like super parody versions of actors to make themselves feel more actory. And I think when I'm feeling least like a poet and most threatened is when I'll write the wankest lines that are the yeah. biggest <laughs> lies that aren't authentic because I'm trying to sound like a poet. And those are things that my editor will just see and just go, no, and cross out. Yeah. This is shit. Like, because I'm doing a bit, I'm like turning into, it's like I've, it's like I've climbed inside the clown suit and zipped it up. <laughs> so true so true if i'm trying to be yeah you're trying to be a better poet more a more poety poet <laughs> that's never gonna be a good thing and, and, and then you, and then you think of things like this is just to say and red wheelbarrow and they're like insanely simple poems that red still resonate with people today because they just managed to you know, the, the essence of all art is speaking the truth without stating the obvious. And I think that's what all your best work does, Holly, is it like just connects. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean you have to be like the sun is like a hemorrhaging <laughs> dog. You know, like we don't need to know. How does that make me feel anything except well done? You clearly went away and spent <laughs> half an hour researching this. So this sometimes I think as well is with time, like, and I know that could be a cop out, but I remember saying once and I sort of regret saying it, but half of me still thinks it. I remember spending a lot of time trying to think of a metaphor 
for this poem that I really wanted a metaphor in because I've basically been criticised for not using any sort of linguistic devices like metaphors. But I had so much to do. Like I had all my doors yeah. organised and I had like editing to do. And then my daughter was, you know, I was going to get my daughter in like half an hour from school. And I just remember being like, I don't have time for metaphors. I just don't have time <laughs> I don't like them in life. I'm like quite a blunt person. I don't really like metaphors. And then I thought, all right. And it's not true. Like sometimes I use, obviously use things like that. But I remember just thinking, right, that's me. I don't <laughs> I don't use them because I don't have time for them. I don't even like them. I, I don't like adverts, which pretend to be something else. And I don't like metaphors. I just want you to tell me what, <laughs> what are you talking about? And I know that's not, that's not necessarily the sort of poetry I like to read. Don't get me wrong. I think it's amazing when people do the sort of poetry that I can't do or don't want to do or can't do you know either way um but I thought that's all right Holly you know and then and then I thought I can't believe that you've been doing this for so long I never really thought I'd be a writer and then I thought you're such a dick like you've even spent an hour of your time wondering whether or not it's okay to not like metaphors in your poem like do something practical It, ironically you were becoming the most poet uh, po- version of it. no I think that's what annoys me the most it's like yes okay I want to be a better writer I'm getting I'm learning a lot more but actually life is short <laughs> not as bothered as you're forcing me to be about this and I need to remember that I'm not as bothered as you're forcing me to be it's like someone sees you and goes Holly you look really stressed out what's wrong um I've just been worrying about metaphors and their validity in poetry that's why that's what the criticism annoys me the most because it turns me into a dick (laughs) (laughs) Holly your um slug is coming out I think like mid May is that right it's coming out uh, uh, May the thirteenth. Oh, audiobook on the April the twenty second, and then hard book May the thirteenth. Awesome. So I'll put pre-order links to both of those in the um, show notes. And if people want to find your, you or your work online, um, where's the best place for them to go? They can go. Sorry, I just realised you don't say hard book, do you? you say hardcover. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know. I, I I still I still when I say it will be in the show notes, I still point downwards as if I'm on a. <laughs> youtube video and people can see me pointing i've got i so i've been doing the audio medium for five years now and i've got no idea how to use it because i'm still making hand gestures to the audience who can't see me (laughs) oh oh, uh if you just put holly mcnish online basically if you just type that in with like either twitter or instagram or whatever it will come up awesome Um, the most most of the Twitter handles, most of the at handles are Holly with an IE and then poetry, but I hate saying that because um, it sounds like such a wanky name. <laughs> but you just did that, for, that was just for the critics, right? You were like, well, um, if I'm not a poet, then why is my Twitter handle Holly Poetry? Yeah, it was because I was in hate from this right-wing men's group saying they were going to beat me up at gigs, so I took my surname off everything on social media and replaced it with Holly Poetry, and now it sounds like the worst name ever. <laughs> That's why. Well, and uh, anyone who wants to find me can find me at Tim Clare Poet. Um. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah, thanks for being on the show, Holly. It's been a real, uh, really lovely to talk to you. And I hope, you know, uh, um, all the best with the book launch. 
Thanks very much. It's been lovely to talk to you too. And everyone listening, um, I hope you have a wonderful week of writing.